you thankful for that very present help in the time of trouble? Clap your hands unto the Lord and give him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. He is as close as the mention of his name. What I have found out, though, is sometimes it takes us a while to mention his name. We try everybody else before we try him. And he's sitting here going, I already know. I already have the answer. Amen. So thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight. As you remain standing, we're going to go back to the book of Matthew, chapter number 6, verse number 14. Last Wednesday evening, I began talking about forgiveness, and I'm going to keep talking about it for the next few weeks. And I've got 21 pages tonight, so you may have to forgive me if I preach a while. I may not get it all done. This may be a two-parter. And the good thing is you won't know what page I'm on. We're just going to walk in it. But I, it's a very deep subject, and it's multifaceted. And by the time I'm done talking about it in a few weeks, uh, we will have examined it from every perspective and how it applies to our life. Scripture says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Before I begin, let me add to what Brother Jeremy said in the announcements. One thing that I wanted to add is this lost and found is no longer private. It is public shopping, and it's free. So you can just browse, and if you find something you like, take it, and don't feel bad about it, because I'm giving it away. We've given ample time for people to come, so if they walk in and see you wearing their stuff, don't you feel bad at all. All right? Amen. Many times in our Christian circles, we pay lip service to the idea of forgiveness without dealing honestly with some of the objections that people raise. We'll tell people only one side of the story, speaking about the benefits of forgiveness without mentioning how hard it is to sometimes Truly forgive those who have wronged us. Have you ever heard a sermon that made a strong case against forgiveness? No. Have you ever heard of a spiritual advisor counseling someone by saying, what happened to you is so awful that you would be a fool to forgive. Go ahead and hang on to those feelings. You don't, you don't talk like that. You don't hear people talk like that. No pastor would ever advise someone to do that for their own good. Yet that's exactly what most people choose to do to themselves is hang on to an offense until it begins to affect them adversely. 
The reason that we hold on to these feelings is because we build up a rationale against forgiveness in our own minds. We start putting it together logically, piece by piece, until the case seems airtight to us. Even though the arguments in our mind would sound so petty and so simple to somebody else, we will convince ourselves that we're right and we can't forgive. Now, I know we're not going to run the next, Wednesday, the next few Wednesday nights, and I'm perfectly fine with that because this is going to help you make it to heaven. Okay? The real issue many times is not that we can't forgive. It's that we think we shouldn't have to forgive because we're right. We're justified in our own minds. We are the victim. We didn't do anything wrong. We were wronged. So then why should it fall upon me to forgive when I didn't do anything wrong? Why should they be allowed to get off scot-free? Why should they be allowed to go on with their life as if nothing happened? And so we start all of this logic in our mind. And so what tonight I want to do is we're going to look and weigh out the evidence for and against forgiveness. We're going to look at it from both perspectives. Are there legitimate reasons why we should not forgive? Are there times when not letting an offender off the hook is the right option? And am I justified in feeling the way I do? We're going we're to dig deep tonight, okay? Hang with me. Let's talk about four reasons why we shouldn't forgive. We're going to look at it from this perspective first. Four reasons why we should not forgive. This is what we this is this is what we say in our mind. Forgiveness denies the seriousness of sin. Many people believe that by forgiving we are denying the severity of an offense as if we were saying that our that what they did wrong doesn't even really matter. Now, even though those same people would probably agree that some offenses are so petty we should overlook them, such as a forgotten birthday, an interrupted sentence, an unreturned phone call. You know, it, it doesn't take much to get people frazzled. Is that a good word, frazzled? And we'll let some of the silliest little things start chipping away at our mind. Let me just say this, because I don't know of anybody that's dealing with this towards me. But I used to think with my pastor, there were times he never would reply to me. And it, it would work me over. I'm like, well, my goodness. 
If you've got an iPhone, I know it pops up on your phone, on your screen. And till I became a pastor. And I realized that there's times that that whole screen will be filled, 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 filled. And I got a bad habit of checking, 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 and putting it back in my pocket. And then going, because if, if I'm in the middle of doing something, I'm trying to focus. And then I'll be driving down the road three hours later. I did not, res- and I'll start going through. And I'm having to eat crow for, for the way I felt. But you know, the simplest things can start working in our minds and causing seeds to be planted that are not even true. Not even true. It's just a seed. The Bible says beginning a quarrel is like opening a floodgate, so drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Proverbs 19.11, one translation says, People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Solomon is wisely telling us that a wise person is one who doesn't make a federal case out of every injury they experience in life. You know, it's all in perspective. You can, let's just use the phone thing for example. You could say, well, he never answers me back, and he never this, and he never that. It's one way to look at it. Or you could say, I know he's got a lot on his plate, and he didn't mean to, to miss my call. It's all in perspective. It's all in how you look at it. That's minor offenses. But what about major offenses? How could God possibly expect us to treat major things the same as minor things? Two different things. Forgiveness, listen to me, does not trivialize our pain just as God does not trivialize our sin. Some people believe that when God forgives our sin, he overlooks our sin, but that is not what the Bible teaches. God does not turn a blind eye to your wrongdoing when he forgives you. The Bible says in Nahum 1 and 3, the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. God's mercy cannot override his holiness. His, he doesn't casually declare that sinners are suddenly righteous and serious offenses are, are, are inconsequential. Our sinful offenses demanded payment, and that payment took the agony, uh, and, and that took the, the, the agony of Calvary was the payment for our offense. If, if a perfect God finds it impossible to just overlook sin against him, How could he expect us to overlook the serious hurts that were inflicted on us by other people? Sin creates an obligation and someone has to pay it. And if forgiveness is going to simply gloss over the serious wrongs that have been done to me, then I shouldn't have to forgive. That's what people say. Or should we? Let's look at the next one. 
Forgiveness lets people off the hook too easily. One of the most basic hindrances to forgiveness is the fear of further abuse. We have a legitimate concern that forgiving our offender will give him permission to hurt us more deeply. When we get hurt, we build up walls. That's just natural. That's what we do. We don't want to be hurt. We want forgiveness. Forgiveness helps us lower those walls. But the reason that we have a hard time is when we, when we forgive and we let our walls down, we feel like they're going to just do it to us again and again and again. Such a legitimate fear about the consequences of forgiveness probably prompted this question from Peter to Jesus. Then came Peter to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? So before we drop the boom on Peter for not knowing that there is no limit to forgiveness, I want to ask you, how many times are you willing to forgive a person for committing the same serious offense against you? Suddenly, Peter seems quite generous. In fact, one rabbi in Peter's day taught that you forgive people three times for the same offense. So when Peter said seven times, he was, he was offering more than twice what was required by the rabbi that day for forgiveness. He was, he was going above and beyond, but he still believed that there surely must be some limit to prevent ourselves from being taken advantage of. So if forgiveness is going to just carelessly let people off the hook to sin again, then I shouldn't forgive them. Because if I keep my walls up, then they can't hurt me again. That's how we rationalize that in our minds. Or should we? The third one is forgiveness places too much responsibility on the victim. One could say that quite a convincing argument could be made for the fact that asking victims to let go of their pain and deny their desire for justice is placing too much responsibility on the offended instead of the offender, blaming the victim instead of the victimizer. It seems though it comes across the main it seems similar to coming across the mangled body of a hit-and-run victim and telling them to take care of their own injuries while you tell the driver not to worry about it. Seems crazy. I'm going to ask you this question. Isn't it unrealistic to place the forgiveness burden on the victim of the wrong? Seems unrealistic. Is it logical to expect them to be able to let go of serious Hurts, or are we asking them to do the impossible? It would blow your mind tonight if we could peel back the curtain of people's lives and you saw how many people were crippled by unforgiveness and hurts and their past. Because we put on our best when we come to church because we think that somehow it's our duty to convince everybody that we're good. Touch your neighbor and say, are you really good? Or are you asleep? 
We may have a stretch break in a minute. But there's many millions of people that can shout, talk in tongues, run the aisles, and do everything that we think marks us as saved, but they are bound by hurts and by unforgiveness. The Word of God gives us the distinct impression that He does not exempt us from task just because they're unfair or difficult. Matthew 5, 38, one verse it says, you know that you have been taught, this is Jesus speaking, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to try to get even with a person who has done something to you. When someone slaps your right cheek, turn and let that person slap your other cheek. If someone sues you for your shirt, give up your coat as well. If a soldier forces you to carry his pack one mile, carry it two miles. Is it reasonable for God to expect this of us? Because it doesn't seem right that a victim would have to struggle for years to get victory over something that they did not cause or deserve while their offender just got to go on through life as if nothing happened. If forgiveness is going to place such a burden on my shoulders, then I shouldn't have to forgive. Or should I? I'm examining reasons tonight that we have told ourselves why we should not forgive. Finally, forgiveness is unfair. Gradually, as we have considered these legitimate objections to forgiveness, we have also inadvertently uncovered the bottom line argument on which all other objections to forgiveness are based. And if you have noticed, it has lurked in the background, hidden behind the words spoken earlier, is this. Forgiveness is unfair. Who are we to judge what's fair? Because we're judging fair through a skewed lens. There's only one that knows the truth of all things. He knows the motives of all men's hearts. All of us are created in the image of God. And regardless of how badly that image has been marred by sin, we still retain an innate, a sense of innate fairness. When we see a wrong committed, we instinctively know that, that it's unjust for that wrong to go unpunished. Isn't there, isn't there something fundamentally unfair in letting our offender go free without any consequences? This is what blew the minds of those people that brought that woman to Jesus and said we have caught her in the very act of adultery. And the law said, stone her. Why do you think they brought stones? It's because they were doing what the law said. And prior to the coming of Jesus on this earth, they would have done that. And Jesus bent down and wrote in the ground and said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. That was, in their eyes, what was fair 
is to maintain the law. But Jesus introduced the realm of mercy and grace and the dispensation of mercy and grace. You know what forgiveness is? It's mercy and grace. Because the Bible says the letter killeth. If without mercy and grace, this book would slice us to pieces. And none of us would make it to heaven. None of us. But it takes mercy and grace to live for God and experience forgiveness. Amen. So let's, let's talk about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Before we define the word biblically, I want to talk about what forgiveness is not. I think we have a, a misunderstanding of what forgiveness. The first thing is this. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. We won't, we, too often we live for God based on feelings. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's not denying the reality of your pain. It's not letting your offender off the hook. It's not blaming you, the victim. And it's not unfair. It's what it's not. That's everything that forgiveness is not. And I'm going to say it again so those of you that are keeping notes, 300 of you, can write this down. It is not denying the reality of your pain. It's not letting your offender off the hook. It's not blaming you, the victim, and it is not unfair. So if forgiveness is none of the above, then we have to ask ourselves, what is forgiveness? The Greek word translated forgive carries the idea of a release from some type of obligation, most commonly a financial obligation. That's how Jesus most often illustrated the concept of forgiveness. If you remember, I read it last week, and I'll read it again, Luke 7, 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 100 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? The moneylender chose to release both of the debtors from their very real obligations. The money owed was not a figment of his imagination. He had a legal right to be repaid. He was the innocent party. The borrower had a legal obligation to pay. There was a deficit between their debt and their resources. So the rule of accounting said that the books had to be balanced. And the greatest misunderstanding about forgiveness is that it is simply overlooking someone else's transgression. The truth of the matter is this. Someone always has to pay. And because an offense always creates an obligation that must be satisfied. When you think of it like this, right now, past couple of years, there's been so much debate about student debt, and, and our president is, is going to, uh, they want him to wipe out so much debt, but here's what you'll hear a lot. They're saying, we'll forgive their debt. We'll forgive their debt. 
same concept that Jesus was speaking of is we're going to release them of the obligation of paying back what they don't have. That's the concept of forgiveness is releasing somebody from a debt that they can't pay. Someone, think of it like this. Someone rear-ends your car at a stoplight. And when you get out of your car, you look at it, and you know it's going to cost a lot of money to repair the damage. you got to visualize this with me. So you're standing there mad when a little old lady gets out of that car and begins to cry. She begins to sob and tell you that she's a retired missionary who's limited resources and no insurance. And you tell her to forget about it, that you'll take care of the damage of the car. So the next day you go and you, they give you an estimate. It's going to be $2,000 to fix that car. So who's going to pay for it? You are. Because you released her from paying that debt. You forgave her. You let the driver off the hook. So the offense created obligation that must be satisfied. And there was a deficit between her obligation to pay and her resources to pay. However, the deficit did not just evaporate into thin air. You decided to cover it yourself. Are you with me? Young people, I know y'all are just loving every second of this. My goodness, they're about to run. Get out of the way. This is the essence of forgiveness. When we forgive, we acknowledge that a wrong has occurred. First, you've got to identify the offense. We recognize there's an obligation for repayment. And we choose to release our offender from that obligation and to cover the loss ourselves. That's what, that's what forgiveness is. You know, you don't have to sob and roll around on the floor to forgive somebody. You've got to make a decision to forgive somebody. And most of us have no trouble with the first two because we are expert record keepers. You know, I find it amazing how we can forget a lot of good, but we can remember a lot of bad. We can remember a lot of bad. I mean, you'll remember things that nobody else remembered, but you'll remember it. Why should I have to suffer? The, third, the stumbling block for us is the third ingredient of forgiveness, which is we choose to release our offender from that obligation. Why should I have to suffer the consequences myself when there are so many reasons why I should not forgive my offender? Jesus' answer answer to Peter's question about forgiveness anticipated such objections and offers us so much compelling reasons to forgive. This is what Jesus said, not just seven times. He said 70 times seven. Perhaps after a brief pause to let the impact of that statement settle in the minds of of his listeners. Jesus relates a dramatic and unforgettable story. Listen to this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so the king ordered that he, his wife, his children, and everything he'd been sold to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the king and begged him, Oh, sir, be patient with me and I will pay it. Then the king was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Although the servant had absolutely no way to make even the smallest dent in such a huge debt, he begs, he begs for just a little more time to try. This is a beautiful illustration of compassion from the king. The servant owed a very real debt to that king. And the king had every right to expect repayment of that debt. But the king voluntarily released the servant from his obligation and covered the loss himself. Forgiveness. Stand with me right now. This will be a two-parter. Unless you brought a pillow. As the musicians come. Regardless of every reason that you can think of to not forgive somebody. And I'm telling you, we are good at thinking of reasons why we should not forgive. I don't care how good the reason is. I don't care how justified you may think you are. There is not one single reason that is good enough for the Lord to say, you're right, you don't have to forgive. There's not one. Not one. Because if God allowed that loophole in forgiveness then that would mean he would also have to transfer it from our lives in the physical to the spiritual. And it would mean that God could find reasons to not forgive us. And if anybody could find a reason, it's God. Because he knows everything that nobody else knows. He knows. So God says, I'm going to give you unconditional love, mercy, forgiveness. And then I want you to do the same in your life. Doesn't matter how much they hurt you. Listen to me. I realize that nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I hope somebody hurts me today. I hope somebody makes me mad. We don't do that. But you walk through life long enough, you will be a victim of circumstances. Somebody's going to do something. Somebody's going to say something. Something's going to happen. You cannot control what is done to you. But you can control what you do to other people. And how you forgive other people. And there's a whole lot of stuff in this book. 
to help us get to heaven. But I can only find this one time where Jesus said, this is what will stop me from forgiving you. I can't find anything else in this book that says this is what will stop Jesus from forgiving you. But he said it. If you don't forgive other people, then it has a, an effect on God forgiving you and ultimately could cost you a trip to heaven to spend eternity with the Lord. Friend, listen. There is no offense on this earth that is worth missing heaven over. There is no hurt. There is no pain. There is nothing that you could say, I'm going to hold on to this for the rest of my life. I want to be saved. Amen. Amen. Why don't we make our way to this altar as we close this service this evening?